I still couldn't see to the edge of your love for me. And I walked on the wildest of waters. And I've sunk to the depths of the sea. But I still couldn't fathom the depths of your love for me. Canyons wide, oceans deep, can't contain all your love for me. No matter how high or far I reach, there's no end to your love for me. And I wrestle, believe in the valley, and I bear. Just when I thought it was dark and the sun began to rise. Canyons wide, oceans deep, can't contain all your love for me. No matter how high or far I reach, there's no end to your love for me. Good evening, bună seara, venit în această seară să ne ridicăm în picioare, începem prima cântare, să numește un templu sânge și în același timp invit pe corul să așeze sus dacă poate.
It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Since tonight's evening is centered around the theme of uh, the Boros family, I have a story that I want to share, which will wrap her up well with the exhortation that I have prepared. Um, out of the many, many, many trips that he did while he was here, handful, good handful, quite, quite a few handful, um, I was able to be part of one of them. And one of the ones, of course, was when I went to Africa with him in 2000, I believe it was 17. That theme for that trip was based, uh, was based, the struggles were there every single day, and this is the theme that we had to strive for every day. In Matthew 6, verses 33, which also Peter's preached on just a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to mention that as well, since it's themed around him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Yesterday I had a friend come over, and a couple of people came over, and they said, Mike, you know what? I've, he's not part of this church community that much. And he goes, Mike, you know, I heard about this thing. You went to the Africa thing, and can you go through the pictures? And I was like, oh, I'm honored to you. I love it. I haven't done it in such a long time. So I was going through the pictures, through the pictures, through the pictures of where we started from, and it reminded me of that first day when we got there. After day three, day four, when we actually got to the place where we're going to be working, the church was on a slant about this much the entire way. We were told to be a nice flat ground, solid foundation, big brick walls that we can just build on top and go in two weeks. We were happy to do that. We came there and a wall had already fallen, on, on, fallen off. It was completely missing. The slope was a huge six foot slope out of a building about this size. Um, the dirt was not solid, it was sandy. And there was many, many, many issues. And one of the videos that we went through, Peter was there touching the brick wall and you can see the wall move. He would put his hands in a brick section, take the mortar out and crush it with his hand. Wow. Imagine the stress. We came there for a two-week job, and we are not going to accomplish it. That night, we stressed, and we cried, and we said, God, why did you bring us here? How is this going to happen? After a few days, we still haven't lifted one piece of steel in the air, and it was stressful. And we cried out to God that day, and we prayed. And we said, God, but why? What's going on? This is not going to work out. We don't have the time. We kept looking at tomorrow's problems. Not today. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And he said... If I told you what was really going on, you guys would have never shown up. If I told you how bad this place was, you would never have shown up. But you're here. And as a sign, you will accomplish what you came to accomplish. We were blown away. It took three and a half weeks and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but we got it done. And, and this verse was on a daily basis in our minds, verses 33 in chapter 6 of Matthew. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In specific, this thing talks about the clothes on your back, the food in your tummy, the places around you, the place of work, finances, things, be able to make things happen. The material things of this world is what this is, breaks down to, starting at verse 25. But in verse 33, it says, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow has anxiousness for itself. We're going through weird times right now, as we all know. I promised myself I would not talk about this, but let's be real. It's all in the forefronts of our minds. 
Today, I heard some news and I felt sick to my stomach thinking, wow, this thing's actually spreading. I go to the ICU on a daily basis at work and I walk in and more and more and more people are becoming positive. More and more people are getting intubated. It's becoming a real, real thing out in rural Placerville where I work. It's getting closer and closer to home. And I worry about tomorrow. I worry about different things. I worry about the worst that can happen and God keeps reassuring me, don't worry about it. Worry about today. Let's focus on today. Seek me. And all these things will be added, added unto you. And that's my prayer for this evening, to start out this evening. Lord, help us seek you. Because we can look at ourselves and think we're the smartest person because we watched multiple Facebook ads and we think we know everything about everything. Lord, help us seek you. Guide us in these weird, interesting times. Guide us in these times. Guide us, guide us, guide us. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to react, what to do, and to be wise with the things he's given us. In this prayer, let's pray. God, give us wisdom and help us get through these difficult times. Let's pray. Pace Sfântă și bună seara! Aș vrea să mai fac încă o rugăciune în seara aceasta, înainte de să, șezăm, să ocupăm locurile. Um, fratele Moise nu este cu noi în seara aceasta, uh, este bolnav, nu se simte bine. Um, also, uh, trei din șase din bordul pastoral uh, are sick. Știu că sunt mai mulți care sunt sick și aș vrea să facem o rugăciune um, pentru toți cei care sunt afectați în timpul acesta și știu că mulți sunt și afectați de economia um, și în starea în care suntem, unde uh, nu toți uh, poate să, să uh, își găsește de lucru în starea în care ne găsim în țara aceasta. Și aș vrea să, să înalt o rugăciune înainte lui Dumnezeu. Tată Sfânt, vine înaintea Ta, o Doamne, Și, Doamne, cerem, o Iisuse, din partea Ta, Doamne, prin puterea Duhului Sfânt, o atingere, o Doamne, la fiecare persoană, Doamne, care este afectată în acest timp, Doamne.
Cerem-o, Doamne, o atingere, Doamne, de vindecare. Cerem-o, Doamne, ca puterea Ta Sfântă, Doamne, și prin Duhul Tău Sfânt, Doamne, ca fiecare persoană, Doamne, care nu poate să fie prezent în această seară, acolo unde se găsește, Doamne, atinge-i Tu, Iisuse, cu puterea Ta Divină. Cerem-o, Doamne, pentru cei care sunt afectați, Doamne, în economia asta, Doamne, Doamne, noi știm, o Iisuse, căci Tu ești credincios, Doamne, căci Tu, Doamne, oricând, oricând, oricând ai avut și vei avea grijă de copiii Tăi. Și de aceea, Doamne, cerem-o, Doamne, ca mila Ta și ca puterea Ta Divină să fie peste noi, ca și comunitate și ca și o familie, Doamne. Cerem-o, Iisus, înțelepciune, Doamne, respingem, Doamne, și, și, și cer... Uh, uh, we rebuke, Father God, orice duh de frică și cerem o Iisuse putere, Doamne, să fim oameni plini de credință, Doamne, oameni statornici, oameni plini de înțelepciune, o Iisuse, și prin toate lucrurile prin care trecem, o Doamne, nu lăsa ca cel rău să face divizii între noi, ci ajută-ne, Doamne, să ne strângem rândurile, să ne apropiem unii de alții și cu toți împreună să ne apropiem de Tine. Cerem acest lucru în numele Tău Sfânt. Amin. Vă cu respect să ocupăm locurile. În seara aceasta vom avea un program puțin mai special, uh, ultimul um, program în care familia Borj va fi cu noi ca și membrii al Bisericii Maranata. And um, peppered throughout service, uh, also, uh, you'll hear from different members of the Boros family uh, giving a farewell address to the church. Um, so that's, that's going to be a little bit special in tonight's service. Um, and then towards the end, uh, uh, I'll be delivering tonight's message, and then we'll have a time of commissioning to send off their family. Deci, um, cine stă înainte, e uh, uh, a short speech, a farewell address from Peter Boros Jr., uh, after that the choir, and then we'll have uh, a special from Sororile Balaj, and then after them uh, we'll have one more speech, actually, a farewell address from Dominica Boros. So, Peter Jr. Um, hello, church. I want to take this opportunity to just say goodbye to everybody, but more importantly, just say thank you um, for everything over these past four years. If I'm going to be completely honest, um, when I was living in Portland, I was told I'm going to be back in the Romanian community. I was excited, but I was uh, mostly just very anxious and kind of doubtful of what God will be doing in the next season. Um, I'd just grown really accustomed to being in an American church. I didn't really know that... I don't know if like, I would have as much of a good of a time in a Romanian church. Um, but I'm happy to say that God did, yet again, what he seems to love to do, and he proved me wrong. Um, being here the past four years has been such a great time. I'm so happy that I got to call this place my community. Um, it honestly became more than just a community, community to me. I look at a lot of you as my family. Um, Looking back over these past four years, as like I get closer to moving, and as it becomes more and more of a reality, I just keep on seeing time and time again how God worked in ways that I didn't really see, and just how He taught me so much more than I could have ever even imagined. Um, there's no other place I would have rather been for this season of my life, and I'm so happy that I got to spend it with all of you guys. Um, that's about it, yeah. Uh, God bless you all, love you all, and once again, thank you all.
Good evening, church. Um, I've been avoiding this moment for weeks <laughs> because I knew that we would get here, and um, I just, I start talking about it, and I start crying, <laughs> and I've been watching my son um, crying, and we know what we're missing, and what we'll be missing, what we're leaving behind, and I want you guys to um, understand how special this community is here. Um, one of the biggest fears as a mother before we moved here when the Lord spoke to us was, Lord, I just want my family to be okay wherever we go. I want my kids to be okay. And we found family here. Even though we don't have any biological family, we found family here. And I don't know if you guys realize how important that is, this community that you guys have here. Uh, my mom, you guys, a lot of you met my mom, and um, she would come visit me. And she's in the Romanian church in Riverside, big Romanian community, and she would always tell me, you have no idea how special Sacramento is, Maranatha Church is. I'm in the Romanian community, but I don't have what you have there, and um, I want you guys to just realize that. I know sometimes you grow up in it, and you take it for granted. Um, we were in Portland for 15 years, and we left community there, but being four years here has far surpassed what we left in Portland. 
Um, I made all kinds of new friends. Um, I'll miss everyone. You guys all know where Tennessee is, <laughs> so you can come. Um, I remember for a long time we would drive through Sacramento going to LA, and we would always say, gosh, who would live in Sacramento? You know, and then we ended up here. And I remember I was thinking about it today when Peter and I first went to Tennessee almost four years ago, three and a half years ago. And Peter said, I would hate to live in Tennessee. <laughs> and this is where the Lord is leading us. And uh, <laughs> I just don't want you to say anything else from now on because <laughs> I don't know where we're going to end up. Um, I just am so thankful um, that you guys have embraced our family that you guys have treated us like family. Um, God has been so faithful in our walk while we were here. Um, with this building, I, <laughs> when we moved here, I just remember thinking, God, how is any of this even going to happen? And Peter doesn't even know a lot of times in the mornings I would wake up and just pray over this property, over this building. And God has been so faithful to get us to this point. And God has such big plans for this church and this community. And I want you guys to realize that and be, stand united in, um, in what the Lord is planning on doing here and just to really be faithful in your walk. Um, and don't look to the left or to the right. You know, a lot of times we're like, well, you know, look at our numbers and they're dwindling. That doesn't matter. God doesn't isn't asking us to do something because our numbers are going to be great. He just wants us to be faithful and to be obedient into what he's calling us to do. And um, I think that's something that Peter and I have learned with our family along the way. Um, we don't always go willingly, but we fight and we still go um, because God is always faithful towards us. Um, I don't know. I, Peter and I were talking a few weeks ago, and I'm not sure... He, he was asking me, what do you think Tennessee's going to be like? You know, like, and I have no idea. Um, from, despite, you know, from the point of us being moved there, I don't know what's waiting for us. And it's terrifying. And it's exciting because God is always so much better than anything we could ever imagine. Um, like I said, just thank you. I... Never thought we would only be here for four years. Um, it seems like a very short time. Um, before we moved here, I remember thinking, you know, long term, and that this is where we're going to be, and our kids are going to grow up here in this community. And, and we got here, and then the Lord has spoken to me about that this is short term. And I don't know that I would have come had he told me that before we moved. Um, so we came, and... I didn't know what short-term meant. Um, and then when this whole Men and Women of Action popped up and we started doing missions with them, um, we really realized that that's where we belong. Um, Long-term, that's what we want to do is missions. So um, God was just, you know, he took care of it. Uh, when Phil and Naomi came to us with a, with a plan of, you know, possibly working with them, I remember we were sitting in Tennessee and I just said, you know, We've got to pray about it. I know that this is probably where we're supposed to be, but we really need to pray about it and fast. And um, my thing is, God has to, if God can speak through someone else, he can speak to me directly about plans. And um, I always put that before him. And I'm like, you know, I don't want somebody else to come and tell me something. I want you to tell me directly. This is what my family is supposed to go, and this is what we're supposed to do. And months passed, 
And I remember Peter and I would sit there, and he's like, did the Lord say anything to you? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, I'm like, what about you? No, nothing. And I'm like, oh, goodness, <laughs> where, what are we doing? Like, we were still, you know, thinking that we're going to go, but we hadn't really heard 100%. And um, then Phil went to Church of God directors for the money for Peter's position. And I just remember being terrified because he called us after he got the approval and he said, okay, we're, it's up to you guys now. And I just remember, like, I left, I had gone somewhere and I just remember being terrified because I'm like, God, everything is lining up, but you haven't told us that that's where we're supposed to go. And um, I... (laughs) I was just driving and praying and being terrified because I was like, I'm going to go home and tell Peter that we still don't know anything, but they now went before the board and got money for us. And um, the Lord has, just like he always does, you know, I was just praying and worshiping and um, he just, he just, (laughs) he just said, I'm taking you out on waters. I, you have to step out in faith and see what I'm going to do. And um, I think that's kind of going to be our motto for our family. Um, I don't know where we're going to end up in this world. Um, I'm excited, and like I said, I'm terrified and I'm humbled that he would want to use our family for this. Um, And I just want to thank you all. I want to encourage you to stand united, to seek out the Lord in everything that you do. In any ministry, even just meeting with a young lady or anything, because you never know how God is going to use that and what can follow from that. So I just wanted to encourage you all to thank you all for loving us, for loving our family, for um, even with the older soror, you know, like I just developed such a kinship with them because we would be cooking together for the benefit dinners or we would... You know, and it's just been amazing to have this here. Um, and I wanted to just read one verse for you guys before I go. And it's out of Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Um, no matter what you do, use your gifts. And I just want to encourage you with that. And um, thank you once again. And we love you guys. And I'm not considering it a goodbye. It's going to be a see you later because we're either coming back to visit or we'll meet out on the mission field somewhere. So thank you. God bless you. Thank you for the lovely address, Domini. Um, next, we'll have uh, the reading of the word. So I invite you to stand. And David Stemmenuk will be reading out of John chapter 2. John chapter 2 out of the ESV. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites purification, 
each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He, And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What signs do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Amen. And as far as you said, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and I'll be reading it in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, As he was sitting, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold 
will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Amen. I invite you to be seated. The interesting thing about this text, right before we go into the, into the song, is that if you look at Christ, the rich young ruler came to him and said, I have avoided all of the sin in my life. Look at all of the commands that I have kept. Look what I have done. Look what I haven't done. I haven't sinned. Look what I've done. I've kept the commandments. And Jesus says, well, have you done? And then he says, now go and sell everything that you have and give to the church. No, he says, give to the poor. Isn't that interesting? He could have easily said, yeah, go and give to the Levites and to the temple because those are his people that lead the people to Jesus. That's what the priests do. They present the people to God. But he says, no, give to the poor. You see, what's interesting about the verse is that it outlines very clearly what Jesus is interested in. So often we think that God is interested in my works, which he's not. We know that in Isaiah. It says your works are like a filthy rag before me. We think that he's interested in what I can produce, which he's not, because he has the angels, which are perfect servants, and produce excellence. We think, we think he's interested in, in me giving what I have of value, but he says don't give it to the church. He says give it to the poor. So what is Jesus really interested in? He's interested in you. And he's interested in me. Jesus didn't die on the cross for me to be a good employee or for my works or for my avoidance of sin or for my pursuit of one thing or another. He, he didn't die on the cross and give his only, God didn't give his only begotten son for me and for you to be able to, to, to go and to write checks. So then why is it that we have a time of offering? Because the purpose of giving is taking my heart and presenting it before the Lord and saying, God, and, and through my giving, I give you me. I give you what's valuable to me. I surrender and I lay myself before you on the altar of sacrifice to give you what I value most. That's the goal in a time of offering. And so I just want to encourage you that as we offer before the Lord, let's do it as an act of worship so that it can draw us closer to him and we can be in his presence. I invite the worship team to lead us in a song and at the same time we'll have a time of offering.
Good evening, church. Could I ask for the recording of my wife and son to be erased for all time? Because surely when someone sees that they both speak better than me, they'll never have me speak at a microphone ever again. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. No. Um, I guess I'll start with, I hate goodbyes. I don't like them. Uh, my wife always asks me, uh, you're so cold. Why don't you call your friends from Portland? You're friends with them all your life. And I tell her, if I call them, I'll think about them. And if I think about them, I'll miss them. And rather than miss them, I try not to even think about them because I appreciate and I value maybe more than anything in my life the relationships I have with people. Um, I've had some money. I've had no money. But the thing that I think is the most valuable is relationships. Uh, show me a man with good friends and good family. That's a rich man. Um, when the Lord had called us here, it, it wasn't an easy thing. Uh, Domini talked about it. Uh, we were horrified. Like, we didn't know what the kids are going to do. Uh, we didn't know how they're going to get along in church. We knew this is a very Romanian church. They don't understand any Romanian. I mean, literally nothing. Uh, like, Bataia, Sarmale, Prosti. They know, like, the very few words. And... Uh, and uh, I was just looking at Peter and his reaction to leaving here, and I'm so glad that we have a place we're going to miss. I'm so glad that God blessed us with this great community over here. Um, when we moved here, it, it was a real stretch of our faith. You know, when you first begin walking with the Lord, he'll, he'll start with small things like, hey, commit your life to me. <laughs> Seemingly small at the time, and then you figure out the ramifications of it. Then he says, Peter, be a youth leader. Okay, I'll be a youth leader. Serve in a church. I'll serve in a church. Go on a few missions. Okay, I'll go on a few missions. Drop everything you've ever known and move to a different state. And it's just so funny how you keep following him and the stakes keep getting bigger. And somehow God is always faithful through all of it. When we had moved here, we'd moved here almost four years ago, even though I only worked on the project for a little over three years uh, we moved here. We didn't know how we were going to do it. Money was tight. And uh, something I don't talk about often enough is the Spinjo family. When I moved here, my wife had quit her job. I quit my job. We still had a mortgage in Portland. And uh, Alex Spinjo took us into his house, gave us a place of our own on his property. And we lived there rent-free. He never asked for a dollar for us for six months. I think it was a little more than six months. In that six months, he did something for me that he didn't even do for his own employees. He treated me like a son. He said, this is my son, Joe. You're my son, Peter. Uh, you don't know anything about steel, but I'm going to give you boys work, and you're going to work with my son, and, and whatever you make, you make. I don't want any of that money. And uh, it's rare in life that you meet people like that. And um, I, I don't... I don't have to bring it up just because I have to bring it up for a political reason. I, I genuinely love the man like a second father, and uh, he's not here tonight. And I'm, it's kind of easier that he's not here tonight, to tell you honestly. Um, 
but his dedication for the project and for the church is shown through that. Uh, my best friend in the world, Eddie, behind me, I moved here, didn't know anybody. Every Sunday, I'd sit down and say, who's that? Who's that? Who's that guy? Who should I watch out for? <laughs> Who should I avoid? And uh, there's almost nobody to avoid. It was great. I moved in, and you guys, you guys brought me to the family. I had a crazy idea to turn two trailers into a home, and uh, you guys all came to the rescue and helped out. Teo, you did all the electrical. Peter Parasco's not here. He did all the plumbing. Christy, I'm pretty sure you painted it. I'm not positive, but I think you did. And, I, and, and see, I met all you brothers and sisters in church through it, and, and then we started digging foundations. And I, I have never dug such a foundation in my life. I have never ran hydrant lines and all these things. But you know what they say, brothers and sisters, you fake it till I make it. It's, uh, it's, I don't know where you find it in the Bible, but it's the way, <laughs> it's the way it worked. And uh, man, Brother Ted, you would come up every day over there and work with me and David Katuna and, and uh, you know, Ryan and David and all the youth would come and they would dig out there. And, and, it, and it, it, I would have so many volunteers sometimes that my biggest stress in life was trying to figure out what to give them the next day because I was only literally one step ahead of them the entire time. And then, of course, uh, uh, God gave me uh, not just youth and volunteers, but just brothers. I look at Mike. Mike, uh, you, you're one of 20-some people that God's given me the grace to take out of this church into the mission field. And I thank God so much for the kingdom connections that he's given me in this church. I, I can't thank God enough for it. I, uh, I look at how my son has become a man. When I moved here, he was a scrawny little kid, and now I look at him, he's a, he's a grown man. Church starts, he's like, Dad, I'm playing bass tonight. And it's like, okay, sounds, sounds good. God really developed him in his ministry over here, and he, he, he's become a musician and a worshiper at Maranatha, and I'm so happy for that. And I, I don't mean to ramble, but this is just the heart of a father. Like it's, uh, uh, Moses told me before I moved here, he goes, Peter, you can't pick, uh, this is our pastor, some of the smartest words. He says, you can't pick who your kids marry, but you could pick the community they're in. And I was like, that's, that's very smart. That's incredibly smart. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to come back here. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, um, I'm so happy he had a great community that formed him. Like now I look at him, he's a musician, he's a worshiper. He could just jump in and play bass. We didn't even know he knew how to play bass. He, he just like, yeah, it's, it's really simple, Mom, Dad, don't even worry about it. It's just like guitar. Oh, what's guitar like? I don't know. Me and Dominica can't tear, carry a tune in a pail. We, we are not musically inclined, not one bit. We don't know what God did with that one, but we thank him for it. Um, when we came here, we didn't know we'd have such an amazing family. Of course we do now. Um, even Isaac, he has all his friends over here. They're all older than him. He's always sitting with all his friends over there. Look at, he's surrounded by a bunch of boys, handsome young men, not boys, over there. And I, I thank you guys for your friendship to Isaac. I genuinely do. Uh, it's been a pleasure to sit here for the last four years, and I was even watching the, the Balash girls singing up here, and I was thinking, man, look at all these young people serving. When we came here, honey, they just seemed like little kids, and now they're, they're worshiping God. It, it was... Uh, the other day I was driving to work, and it's been, it's been kind of hectic again leaving. It's been very hectic, uh, closing up a project that I've been working on for three years, and that has been nothing short of just miracle after miracle. You go out there and you look at that building, and it's paid off in cash. 
the property on that it's on is paid off in cash. Every year we had benefit dinners and I saw God provide. I saw God come through with leaps and bounds, with dollar amounts that shouldn't have been from a church this size. I don't believe other churches would have given so much. I've seen people be faithful for years, for years faithful, month after month, giving to this project because it's what they believe in. They believe that God has a purpose and a will for this church. I've seen God's faithfulness time and time again, every time we had to go through one phase to another phase of construction, and the money was always somehow miraculously there. If you don't see God's hand all over this project, you, you have a problem with your eyes. And I'm not trying to be hard. But even to the point where it doesn't even hinge on me, I told the board that I'm leaving in the beginning of the year and not three weeks later that God find a replacement for me. It's not contingent on me. It's not contingent on people. It's not contingent whether you think it's true or not. God has a plan for Sacramento and somehow that building's tied to it. Amen? Amen. Closing that up, getting a big contract, the biggest job I've ever had in my life, moving my family 2,500 miles across the country, Peter starting medical college that somehow God worked out, not medical college, regular college, what do you call it? Nursing school, sorry, honey. I'm so, see, thank God for a good wife. She keeps me in line. People would have thought he's a doctor, honey. You should have let it go. Um, <laughs> he would have surely gotten married then. No, <laughs> he's only 18. <laughs> Dominique, I was 18 when we got married. Um, I was only 20. Uh, 20 years. Hmm. But uh, in the midst of all this hardness, uh, people keep talking about how, uh, how uh, things are hard. And we're praying for finances for people and how things are, are really hard going for the most of the country. And I keep thinking about it, Dominica. Things have never been better for us. We're moving into a a job that I never thought I would have in my life. Uh, the, the ministry that I serve and the denomination that I serve saw fit to give me a job because they saw my potential in ministry and they decided to give me a full-time job doing my ministry. It's humbling and it's an honor. Uh, financially, we've, we've probably never been better set. Home-wise, we're moving into a new home. Uh, School-wise, Peter's going to school for free. And somehow, I look at all this, and I was thinking, why is God so good to us, Domini? And you know what? I was driving to work, and I was listening to the radio, and I was actually listening to Rick Warren, which I don't really listen to him because he's kind of Baptist for me. But uh, he, says, he said something about, and he, and he was referring to the verse in the Bible that says, as long as there's day and night, as long as there's summer and winter, there'll always be seed time and harvest. And I realized that through all those tough years and moving our family around and saying yes to the Lord, even though we didn't have a lot to say yes with, we were sowing seed. And in all that time, we sowed seed, and now it's starting to finally come up after all these years. And why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying that for one, God is faithful. And I'm saying to you guys who are here tonight, if God's calling you to do hard things, you know what? Sometimes he's going to ask you to do hard things and give up things, not for a week or two, and then you'll see a harvest, not for a month or two. Sometimes he asks you to sow seed for a decade. Sometimes he asks you to sow seed for 15 years to see where your heart is. 
Like Eddie was reading so beautifully about the story about the rich young ruler. The money and where it went, it didn't even matter. Jesus said, just give it to the poor. I don't even care who gets the money. I just want your faithfulness. I can't take credit for getting a job in ministry or being successful in missions or any of that. The only thing I can say is that when God asked us to sow, we sowed. Was it valuable? I don't think it ever had any real value, but it was just all we had. And all I could say is I'm looking at God now, and I'm looking at my wife speaking up here, and I'm mesmerized that that woman who spoke up here is my wife. That I grew up like I did, a prodigal son, not knowing Christ, and that's my wife. And I look up at stage and I look at that boy, that young man, that handsome young man speaking up there. And I look at him and I say, man, that's, that's my son. And man, I think to myself, God, you're so faithful. You ask us to give out of the little that we have. And even though it might seem insignificant, you're just looking for us. You're looking for our obedience. And surely when we give everything that we have to you, God, you're faithful. God is so faithful. He's so good. He's so faithful. He's going to be so faithful with this church. He's going to be faithful with that building. He's going to be faithful when Danny Brazel Vaughn comes here and he finishes it. And it's going to be wonderful. He's going to be faithful with my life and my ministry and your lives. But if I can leave you with anything, and I always want to leave you with something, is to encourage you. Keep sowing your seed. Keep giving to God. If you don't see it, it might take a while. It might take a few seasons. You might forget about the seed you sowed. It's been so long. But you know who doesn't forget? Our Father in heaven. He never forgets. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always faithful. Always faithful. I look at this great community I'm leaving now. How great that I get to leave a great community. How great is it that I'm leaving and the church is celebrating me and I get a chance to come here and say goodbye it happens so rare in church that I was talking to Eddie when he gave up the youth ministry and gave it to David and Christina. And we were talking about it. It's like, hey, how is this going to work? I don't know. Normally, the youth leader, they get in a fight. They, they quit. And they, and they go away. I never really see a youth leader give another youth leader the baton. And everybody celebrates it. And normally, don't leave a church. And everyone's going to miss you. It seems like people normally leave churches and there's strife, but not in this church. This is a special church. It's a special church, and it speaks volume, volumes of this church's uh, maturity. The fact that I'm leaving and you guys are sending me off, that you're celebrating me, that means there's peace here, that God is in this place. And uh, I hope that encourages you. I hope you appreciate that, that this is a great place. This is... This is the bride of Christ over here. This is a, it doesn't matter about the quality of things. This is, this, is, this is it. We're two or three. When you guys gather here, Christ is here. Amen? Again, I just want to thank you for, for all your friendships. There's no perfect words I could say that could sum up the appreciation I have for the last four years of volunteers. The last four years of salaries and the last four years of you guys coming up with every one of my needs met. I can't thank you enough for giving me a, a place to preach. You realize I'm going to an American church. I'll probably never preach again. This is probably the last time you'll see me with a microphone in front of me unless I'm invited to come here. Um, they actually have doctorates and real pastors. They don't really need people like me in American churches. Um, 
My biggest regret for Cleveland is that there's not a Romanian community for us to move into. Uh, even our American friends who come and know us and then they know what we're leaving, they say, we can't believe we're asking you to leave that amazing community. And um, sometimes you don't appreciate things until they're gone. So that's, I think this is why I keep repeating community and my wife keeps repeating community. Don't take it for granted. This is not something that you'll find just anywhere, that you can come into church and know everybody and everybody's happy to see you and you're happy to see them and it's family. And this is something that's so far greater than money or anything else. Uh, I pray that you guys continue to keep me and my little family in your prayers. Um, Mike, what you read is exactly what I needed to hear. I was so stressed out that truck's leaving tomorrow night, and I don't know how I'm going to get all my stuff in there, and I have to finish a commercial project, and I got to do all these things. But hey, I'll worry about today. I'll worry about this service and, and hugging and kissing people at the end of service. And then, no, we're not hugging anyone. Yes, COVID. Never mind. We're going to give high fives and fist bumps to everybody. Okay, honey. <laughs> but uh, again, we, re we just really appreciate everything from you guys. Uh, if I'm leaving out any names or anything, I thank the board for allowing me to serve with them. I thank the construction board for allowing me to lead it. I thank, uh, I thank the pastor for uh, bringing me in and uh, taking me in and, and receiving me as a credentialed minister. I didn't have to get revoted. I came here from Assemblies of God, and now I'm leaving Church of God. Uh, I, I thank God uh, for, for, for all of you guys accepting me. That, that, that there's never been, I can't say there'll ever be or there ever was a, a sour situation. I never left one board meeting super angry or denied of what I needed to do to do my job. Um, it's been a pleasure, a genuine pleasure, and I, I believe that God has formed me exponentially in my time here, and uh, I'm excited for what's next in our family. I pray to God that uh, people in this church will still be able to come with me on my mission trips. God, I, I hope that these doors stay open and that you guys continue to, to go travel the earth with me and uh, go build great things in different parts of the world with me. But... Um, I've already rambled on for too long, and I apologize, especially for the few people here who probably don't speak English. I've probably rambled on very long for those people. But uh, again, thank you so much. I don't have words to thank you enough. I, I appreciate all of you guys, and I, I, we pray for you, and we pray that you continue to keep us in your prayers as well. God bless you guys. Amen. God bless you.
What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I invite you to be seated. I'm going to deliver today's message, and at the end of service, we'll have a time of commissioning and prayer for the Borosh family. Well, I'll ask them to come on stage, and then we'll all stand and pray together for them. You know, as we've been hearing the, the different um, feral addresses and testimonies and, and um, Peter Jr. and Peter Sr. and Dominica sharing their hearts and uh, sharing their experiences here, you know, even earlier today when I was sitting and I was just thinking about the last four years, a lot's happened in the last four years. A lot's happened in the last four months. It's, uh, it's an interesting time that we find ourselves in. And, you know, as we sit here and we look back over the last four years, just reminiscing on all of the different things. You know, I remember I was, I was driving home from spending the weekend at, at the Borushes in Portland. Um, 
about four, four years and three months ago, four years and four months ago, because we were there together uh, with my kids and Simida, and I was driving on. I remember we were passing Mount Shasta, and I was on the phone with Peter. And, and from the time we left and in time, by the time we drove and arrived in Sacramento, in that drive, the idea had developed. I had been on multiple phone calls between Peter and Pastor and different construction board members. And then, and then we would finalize something and go, yeah, maybe, maybe we can do this. And Peter called me back, hey, man, what if I live in, a, in one of the mobile homes on the church? Oh, that's a great idea. Let me call somebody else. And then we'd make all of these. But by the time we arrived, it was pretty much nailed down. <laughs> it, was, it was, okay, we're going to have to nail down now a date for you to come and meet everybody and lay everything out and then, you know, make an official decision. But um, from that date until this day, a lot's happened. God's done a lot. God's done a lot um, in, in the Borosh's lives. God's done a lot through them in our church, in our community. God's done a lot here with Maranatha, with the building and everything else that, that we've been on. Um, you know, I, uh, I started looking back through all of my archives, and um, I took on the construction project uh, in 2012 is when I became the project manager. That's eight years ago. It was October. It'll be eight years of this October. And seeing the process that we had gone through and a lot of ups and a lot of downs, one thing kept on coming up to the surface. It's the same thing that you've heard all night tonight, which is that God is faithful. He is so faithful. It's hard to see sometimes, but God is consistently faithful. You know, life, life has a way of, of, of giving you surprises, and no matter in whatever situation we might have found ourselves, God is consistently faithful. You know, when, when you go to a new school, for example, that we're going to be starting a, a new college, and I know there's going to be all sorts of concerns and ideas. We just had step-up night at youth night last Friday where all of the eighth graders are now a part of the youth ministry, and they're going to be starting ninth grade college, not college, high school, uh, this upcoming September, August, September. It might be different because you might not be able to attend in person, but they're starting a new season in life. You know, when, when you got your first mortgage and you realized, I'm indebted for how much? It's a new season in life, and every month that mortgage comes in. When you move out, when you get married, it's a new season in life. And, and I remember, you know, when we, first had, when we first had Franklin, my wife and I, and it was the very first time he was sick. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where the line was. Do I take him to the ER? Is he going to be fine in 20 minutes? And you're not really sure. And there's a lot of fear with the unknown. There's a lot of concern with the unknown. When somebody told me that, oh, yeah, he's going to get a regular fever, the, the nurse on the line, she said, yeah, you know, it's normal for an infant to have a fever of 102, 103. And I thought to myself, if I have 102, 103, I need to go to the ER. What do you mean he's fine? I'd call again to get a second opinion just to make sure because I didn't believe the first one. I asked my wife, and she said, no, that's fine. And I was like, okay, I'll believe you. That's good because <laughs> if not, I'll get in trouble. So. <laughs> but, you know, in, in all of the times in my life, and I, and I know that we have – a sea of people present here and online watching that can testify that God has been faithful and consistent in every phase and in every place in your life that you have ever been. In marriage, God has been faithful to my wife and I. He has blessed us immensely. You know, I, I, I talk to these young men before they have kids, you know, and, and they're like, man, what is, what is a big thing that you notice about parenting? And I tell them, you know, the first year of parenting, 80% of parenting in the first year is thinking of terrible things that could happen to your kids and avoiding them. Is, oh, look, that's a scissor. I better get it off the counter because he'll stab himself in the eye. Oh, he's holding a pretzel. I better take that away because he's going to stab himself in the eye. Oh, he's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a stick pretzel and you're terrified. Is it a straw? It's, I don't know, something with the eyes. So all the time it's going through your mind, how do I keep my kids safe? Because you don't know what you should be panicking about and what you shouldn't. 
it's hilarious for me watching grandparents watch their children panic about their kids because they know what you're supposed to be panicking about, but most times they won't tell you. They just like to watch you panic. It's pretty entertaining. Um, <laughs> there's some grandparents nodding right now. The, uh, what I love as I look back over the history of my relationship with the Lord is that every time I've entered a new season in my life and I didn't know what was next, that I can see, looking back now, that God has always been faithful. He has always been consistent. What I love about the Lord is he says that even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. You know why? Because he cannot deny himself, it says. He can't deny who he is. God is faithful not because we're good. He's faithful because he's good. And there is nothing that I could do to change God's faithfulness to his people. I'm not saying that if I live in sin, God's going to be faithful to save me. No, but he will be faithful to be available if I ever want to repent and turn my life back to him. That's what I'm saying. And God is consistent. He has been faithful with you guys moving here, and he's going to be faithful with you guys moving to Tennessee, and he's going to be faithful with you guys if you guys end up moving from Tennessee to wherever it is that you're moving. You know, it's interesting because we find ourselves in uncertain times today. You know, somebody might, might have gotten married and you're in a new season or somebody might have found themselves in, in, in a new season because they just had their first kid or their second kid or maybe their second kid has, has a bit of, a, of an issue uh, health-wise, God forbid. But whenever we find ourselves in new seasons, we begin to worry because we forget about God's faithfulness. If you look at today, we find ourselves in a completely new season. The last six months have been insane. You hear about riots happening in Seattle and in Los Angeles and in Chicago, this election, right? Everything that's happening all around the world, coronavirus, everybody wearing masks all the time, right? And this has become what we hear all the time, our new normal. The talk about communism, like that's one of the valid options of society today. And what happens with me is I'm tempted, like many other people, to fear, because it's new, and I don't know what's going to happen. And what if America goes way too far to the left? What if Trump loses the election and Joe Biden wins, right? I mean, these are the concerns that some people have. What if uh, Joe Biden loses and Trump wins? Other people are concerned the other way. But there's a lot of fear and division. But as I look back, and I remember that God has been faithful. He hasn't changed. He's going to remain faithful even during these times. Even during sickness, God is faithful. Even during a job loss, God is faithful. Even during difficulty, even during times that I can't explain. Even when God asks me for something that I'm not ready to give and he takes it anyway, he is still faithful. He is unchanging. He is consistent always. And he will remain faithful moving forward. And so what I'd love to just encourage you with today is for us to understand that as we look forward at the uncertainty, that we look backward and remember the certainty that we have in Christ and that he has been faithful and so he will continue to be faithful to his bride, to the church, to you and to me. You know, the Israelites learned that God was faithful. You know, you look all throughout Exodus, right? You look all throughout Exodus, they were slaves to the Egyptians, right? And then, and then God sends 10 plagues to Egypt and then the Israelites are able to, to flee. And as they're fleeing, he sends a cloud of, uh, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud, uh, fire by night, right? To guard and to protect them. And, and so they flee for a while, then eventually they come up against the Red Sea, as Scripture teaches us, right? And then the Egyptian armies are chasing them now, and they start to panic. If you were to think back about what happened, God sent ten plagues and decimated the world power at the time. And now they're looking forward and they're panicking because they forgot about how God was faithful. God parts the Red Sea, they go through it. 
They're on the other side. They see the Egyptian army coming through the Red Sea. They start to panic again because they're looking forward without God instead of looking backward at how God delivered them. God closes the Red Sea and it destroys them. He sends manna by day to feed them. So that way while they're in the wilderness for 40 years, God takes care of them. Their clothes grow with them. You bought a pair of shoes. You had a pair of shoes when you left Egypt. They were the same shoes you had on you. It grew with your foot. Do you understand how wild that is? Even in the small things that are not necessities, but they're, they're, they're more of, of um, preferences. They're not needs. They're wants. There's something that we could go and, and maybe build for ourselves. And God says, I'll even take care of that. He sends quail when they're hungry and they're sick of manna. He deals with their complaining. He makes the bitter water sweet. And he takes them all the way into the promised land. God was faithful with the Israelites. We pick up the story right there where this is big news. Realize all of Exodus happened. The ten plagues, Egypt, everything that happened, 40 years in the wilderness, right? The ten commandments God sends and now they're finally about to take their first steps into the promised land across the Jordan. And this is where we pick up the story in Joshua. And I'd like to read out of Joshua chapter 3, starting with verse 14. You know, they finally came to a time where they had to pass over the Jordan River into the promised land. And then God does another miracle there. Go to chapter 3, verse 14, it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And I think I'm reading out of a different verse. I am. I'll read it off of there. Thank you. I'm reading at the end of chapter 4. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is based in Zerathan. And those flowing down, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel were passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man. And command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. From the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man for each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Amen. What they did is they said, take out 12 stones and place them for remembrance. 
Because when your children pass through here and they look at those stones out of place, they'll say, what's the deal with those stones? And you'll be able to pass on the history of the supernatural things that God did here in this place. And in today's times, we don't have stones of remembrance. We have uh, Facebook looking back over the last seven years. <laughs> Memories or whatever you want to call them. We have pictures and we have videos and we have different places and different times where we can sit down and we can remember, man, do you remember when God did this in your life? Man, do you remember when so-and-so's son was sick and we prayed for him and God healed him the next day? We have the word of our testimony. How often do we sit and we share with one another? Man, you know what? I was praying about something and God answered it. Look, when you're going through times of trial, Scripture teaches us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The word of our testimony. It is the word of what it is that God has done in our past that gives us strength and faith to step forward and to say, no, the blood of the lamb still flows over sin. The blood of the lamb still redeems. The blood of the lamb still has power over darkness and over the enemy. And because I know that God was faithful with me in the past, I know that he will be faithful with me in the present and in the many years to come. So what I'd like us to do today is that's the majority of the extent of the message. I don't want us to unpack more scripture in study, I want us to unpack more scripture in application. What I want us to do is I want us to look at the last four years. If you guys can go ahead and put up the, the slideshow. And I want to walk through what it is that God has done with us, with this community for the last four years, just encapsulated in this construction project. Stones of remembrance is what we're talking about. You know, um, it was... Uh, I don't know. I don't know who these kids are over here. <laughs> this was at Adi and Ruth's wedding, Budian, and uh, Peter was about eight inches less beard in this picture. <laughs> but um, I remember the many conversations that we had about you guys possibly moving here. And at first, it was a joke for a long time. Oh, you know, you guys should move to Sacramento, and we'd goof off about it all the time. Because uh, Peter and I have been really good friends since 2006. 2006 at a youth convention for youth leaders. Uh, Peter had come down from Portland, and I had met him there, and we hit it off, and we have been the closest of friends ever since then. And um, I remember that you guys had come here during Adi and Ruth's wedding, and we were joking around about the potential for, for you guys to move here. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, it was, I think, almost exactly four years ago, right? Because it was the summit, and then right after the summit, um, or, or, I mean, that might have been, no, it was the summit, you guys came home because Peter had to start school immediately, like August 2nd. Yeah, so it was almost exactly four years ago um, that you guys heard from the Lord and, and, and uh, decided to say yes. And um, I want to tell you a story about uh, the journey that, that we had kind of gone on to kind of get to that point. Um, I remember Peter was on board, and he said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on board, and um, I think this is a good idea. I see he goes, but you know, I'm going to put a sign before the Lord. God, you got to convince my wife. <laughs> he said, you, you got to speak to my wife about this. And uh, we were driving in a 15, in the youth's 15-passenger van. We were going to the Bay Area with Pastor and a lot of other people. We had some guests in town because it was the leader's retreat. And we were coming back home, and we were talking about the potential and the possibility of what could be after we build this building and in the process of building this building. And Domni was sitting several rows back, just listening. And after we had arrived um, at some point in time, when we arrived back in Sacramento, it was another day or two later, Peter had called me and he said, hey, you know, when we were just sharing and we were all kind of talking about, you know, the potential and the vision and so on of what, what's happening in Sacramento. 
He goes, well, my wife said that she heard from the Lord while she was sitting there in that van that they have to be a part of this. And she said that, yeah, she thinks that that's what God's calling us to do. So we're moving to Sacramento. And we were like, what? <laughs> we were so excited. And it's been, it's been a neat journey since then. Um, I remember I went, I went with Gigi uh, Kish, and we spent a lot of time looking through the berry. He actually ended up sourcing all of the containers that we found here. And we started preparing the land and so on um, just before the, the Borishas ended up moving here. And I had actually a lot of pictures, because uh, after you guys had moved here, the first thing that we did was renovate the entire apartment. And a lot of photos, but they ended up falling out of the slideshow. But that, that took a, a good three, four months, something like that. Yeah, it was a, a lot of different people came in and, and, and put their shoulder and put their hand to work. And that whole entire thing got done. That's been such a blessing for the last four years. And it's going to be a blessing for years to come for the Brozovan family. Um, this is day one. <laughs> This is, this is the first day that that piece of machinery had come onto that property. It was still green grass because it had been mowed, and it was just green grass for a long time. Um, and then me and Peter were sitting out there measuring everything a thousand times over from uh, waypoints that had been laid out two years before that. And then this is the very first cut. I remember I wanted to get a picture of the very first time the grass was being shaven off the top as we were preparing to lower the grade for the, um, for the concrete, for the, for the forms and the framing and everything else. You know, um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, after, after the ground had been graded, here we are up in the boom lift. I'm taking a, a picture. Peter's out there with the, uh, uh, with the telehandler, just moving material around and so on. And you can see that it's all been flattened out. None of us knew how to grade anything, by the way. We learned here. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> what is this doing with the heavy equipment? I don't know. Let's find out. All right. That's the, oh, okay. <laughs> it's good. And we learned all, we weren't going to tell you that, but, you know, until it was done. <laughs> now yeah, now, now it's funny, but then. <laughs> so we learned how to use all this equipment right out there. Um, but, you know, as we measured everything out and, and, and laid out the grade and so on, eventually the geotechnical engineers had to come in and certify the pad. Well, when they came in and certified the pad, and, and the surveyor had to come in and from satellite certify the corners of the pad. They both told us the same thing. They said, you guys are within two inches of being exactly on exactly where you need to be, which that means nothing as far as distance goes. It's a plus minus one inch, which I thought was amazing that we were able to, to do that. And that was just a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time just, just trying and surrendering and saying yes to God and going, I have no idea what I'm doing, but God, you've, you've brought us this far. You're going to be faithful through this. And God helped us to be able to, to put together this and that and, and every other thing you know, that, that came into it. And so many different brothers came and offered advice and assistance. And, and that's how, I was able to, how, how it was able to progress. You can barely see it. That's our dirt pile in the back. It's about four feet tall. It's about eight feet wide. <laughs> it, uh, it looks a lot bigger now. Um, and then this is after the grade was, was set. Uh, this is the very first bucket that had to get dug out. Now, what you can't tell there is uh, Fratelanello Nitsa lent us four buckets, which is very kind of him. Um, but his bucket's attached to a different size unit. So Peter had to create a joint an adapter between our unit and those buckets. And so uh, he did it on a lathe at my dad's shop and on a mill, never having had used a lathe or a mill before. A lot of it was, uh, like Peter said, fake it till you make it. And we were just praying and pretending and God was seeing us through. Um, you can see the very first trench was dug there and uh, uh, the ground was starting to be really laid out nice. You can see that the holes started to get dug up. Um, and then this is uh, at the sanctuary. I remember many conversations we had. How are you going to get the bucket in to dig 
at an angle. How are we, I, I don't, you know, and we just sat there and we kept on trying to think about how to do it and so on. And then in the end, Peter just did it, just, you know, dug in there. And sure enough, it, uh, it worked out. It was the right slope. It was the right depth. There's all of the holes in the perimeter now being set. And, you know, I show you a photo, then another one, and it looks like, oh, that went really fast. It wasn't. That ground is incredibly difficult. If you've ever dug in Sacramento, you know that after two or three feet, you hit hard pan, and it's very difficult to dig through. But God was faithful with all of this. You can see our dirt pile had gotten considerably bigger at this point in time. You didn't think I was going to put that in there, did you? (laughs) Like in any sort of job that you do, there's all sorts of problems that happen, things that you don't expect. That is a dump truck that had fallen through the asphalt. Now, how a dump truck falls through the floor, I have no idea, but it did. It fell right through the asphalt. It was resting on a chassis on the floor. And me and Peter were there, and both our hands and our heads were like, what are we going to do? And so uh, Peter came up with an idea that, you know what, we'll just tie a chain between the next dump truck that arrives, and while it's fully loaded, we'll use its weight to rip out this dump truck, and hopefully there's no damage. Now it was the driver's fault. Peter told him, hey, don't turn in one spot. You're, you might break up the asphalt. And he broke it, and he went right through it. So um, there's actually a short video clip that I have where he pulls him right out, and the dump truck guy's like, hey, you guys aren't upset that I broke your parking lot? We're like, you're not upset we broke your truck? Everybody left happy and got took care of it. Uh, everybody was just, all right. California's a, a weird place. Um, we're Cal Unicornia. We, we are such a special state. We, uh, we have something called the SWIP, the Stormwater Pollution Prevention Plan. All of the water that drains off of the property, we have to measure the acid, the pH level, the turbidity. We have to measure how much dirt's in it. Uh, We have to measure how much chemicals is in it, just all of those things. And all of the water drains off of that corner. So Peter dug this big ditch and then uh, lined it so that way he can filter through all of the water. And then we have to test all of the water that leaves the building, that leaves the property. Anytime that it rains, let's say it rains for a day, we have to uh, do a report before, during the rain, and then after. And if it doesn't rain for 48 hours, that's considered a rain event. Or for 24 hours. Yeah, but it doesn't rain for 24 hours. It's a rain event. If it rains another day again later after that, we got to do a whole other three reports. And we've been doing that for the last four years. Yeah, for the last three and a half, four years. And um, it's been a process, but God's been faithful. We've saved a tremendous amount of money with that because God's given us the right people. The, the person who does this is certified to do it by the state. We're not. But he's allowed to hire employees that he can certify. So he hired Peter and I. He taught us how to do it. The church bought a turbidity tester. We tested all of the water, and God gave us the right people. It saved us probably thirty-five grand by about now. These are the forms. There's a lot of forms. A lot of forms that went in. And, and just the... The, the wood that had to get wrapped around everything. You can see an immense amount of work that went into all of this. Everything was within uh, an eighth of an inch of spec. I mean, just made to the laser. Now, I remember talking to Peter about this. He's like, man, I've never built forms of this scale and on this size and so on. But God gave us the right person and the right family, and he gave us the right people to come alongside of him, to dig with him and, and to stand alongside and to, to you know, hold out the laser level and so on. And all of these forms came in perfect. Whenever we would have contractors that would come in to bid the job, they would say, who's your form guy? Because I want to use him for, for projects that we're doing because he's doing excellent work. And we're like, it's that guy right there. And Peter would be like, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> um, 
Scott, the, the guy who did all of our stormwater testing that made me and Peter his employees so we could do all of that. Scott said, hey, Peter, if you ever want a job after you're done with the church, I'll give you a job. I'll keep you busy 24-7 just building these kinds of ditches to be able to eliminate all the, tur- the turbidity that goes off of, off of uh, people's properties. God gave us wisdom to know exactly how to do things that had never been done before. Um, there's so many different people that came alongside of the project. Uh, Brother Petr Paraska and Brother Grigore Dunka came and helped with all of the drainage. This is commercial drainage, you understand? Uh, when we were collecting bids, the bids were, were in, in excess of 25 grand just to do the, the, the commercial drainage on the property. And they came and they did all of it for free. You can see all of the different drains from all of the toilets and all of the, the, the sinks and all of the, the cafe and the baptismal and, and every other thing in the church. All of it has to drain at a certain slope, at a certain radius to be able to make it all the way out and into the street. And they came and they, and they did it like professionals because we have professionals in the church. And you can see a lot of work that went into this is the, the men and the women's bathrooms and the sinks and everything needs vents and everything else to it. All of the framing work, all of the rebar. There is so much rebar that had been bent and installed and cages built. There's two men in that hole down there in the sun bending in 115 degree weather. This is a good photo. You know, in the midst of all of the construction, sometimes I feel like we forget about community. And it's just such a special thing and such a special, such a special moment that in the midst of all of that building, I just wanted to take a pause and a break and to just note that this is where you got baptized. I, just, I, I thought it was so great as I was looking through all of the photos in my phone and just remembering the, the, the moments and the special part of community that alongside of how God was faithful in the construction project with everything that it is that he's done so far, he's also been faithful. It, it's not like God was so busy with construction that he forgot about church. He's also been faithful with our community, with our health, with our spiritual health, and he's been walking with us consistently. Here, this is after laying hay on everything and laying gravel on everything to make sure that everything's covered so that way as rain comes, it doesn't carry away dirt and cause us any problems in the parking lot. Miles of conduit for all of the electrical that, had gone, that goes underneath the concrete. Now, normally in a commercial building, you have one stuff that comes up, then after that, you do galvanized steel that goes all throughout the building. But it costs five times as much to go overhead than it does underground. And so we just laid out miles and miles of conduit throughout this entire building. There is so much of it all over the building, but it's going to be a tremendous savings. And this is because several of the brothers from the church came and laid out all of the conduit, laid in everything in place, did it professionally, their union uh, electricians and so on. Uh, I know Fratatel, you were there and helping us with all of the sound and tying all those three different corners and places together. Uh, Brother Rado Casalian helped out a lot with this as well. Um, there's, there's a lot of electricians. Ben Tividar came and gave us a hand as well. And and, and forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody. These were our rebar cages for every stope. There's 67 posts in the building. Each post is tied into one of these rebar cages. Um, I, I drew them out in AutoCAD, sent the drawing to Justin Betting Day, and then Justin Betting Day had on their plasma cutter cut out all of these plates perfect. And then a group of youth came to church, and uh, Fratele Ted Morada's daughter Mariana was at church as well, and she told everybody what to do. Okay, you two boys, you guys sit here and put in this, and you two boys sit there and tie that together. And I, we, me and Peter got such a kick out of it because she just took over and built an assembly line, but they got them all built, 67 of them. It was, it was pretty entertaining. <laughs> and then you could see here after the, the buckout boxes were starting to be built, after all of the gravel came in, all the freeway of... of of conduit came in, we came and we buried everything in gravel. And then there's the rebar. Over six miles of rebar 
if you put all of the rebar end to end, it goes over six miles in length of what goes into that building. Every last bit of it floating off the ground two inches so we can sit in the center of the concrete tied together. And then we had our, our first trucks come and pour, and they were pumping and just filling in all of the shanzu. There was maybe 32 or 35 different members from the church that showed up that day to just give a hand and to help and to, you know, to pour out the concrete into all of the trenches and into all of the pits. And at the end of it all, it all got poured. But sometimes problems happen. <laughs> this is the only two that I put in there. There's, there's more. <laughs> no, there's a third, actually. Um, the truck driver, Peter, told him, he said, hey, be careful when you exit. You can't take a tight turn. You have to take a wide turn. And he didn't. And those planters we have out there, uh, they're storm drain planters. They go down two feet in some places. And he took that turn, and sure enough, he's got a double tire on the back, popped his inner tire, and the outer tire, he fell right into the ditch. And Peter was just like, rev it hard and get it out of there. And he pulled it right on out of there. But, you know, in the middle of pouring concrete and telling pumps what to do and several pumps were broken and they had to keep on sending new pumps and new pumps, we had, we had two pumps that came. The first pump was good. The second pump was broken. So we had to order a third pump, broken. Fourth pump, broken. A fifth pump came and we were finally fine. But the trucks were already stacked out into the street now. And it was just, it was chaos. But in the end, everything got poured correctly. Everything got poured correctly. Everything got done. But when you're in the midst of it, you're sitting there going, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? It's not my church. It's your church. Where are you in the midst of this? Why do we have a bad pump? Can the next pump be good? And you're sitting there losing your mind. But, you know, as you look back over time, you start to remember, wait, if God's been faithful, then surely he's not going to abandon us here. We had a deal, Peter and I, over the last four years that we couldn't both panic at the same time. <laughs> if he was panicking, I had to be strong. If I was panicking, he had to be strong. And sometimes we'd both panic and we'd be like, hey, I had to be strong last time. It's your turn this time. And say, all right, you're right. And then I'll be strong. All right, God's with us. And we'd encourage each other. You know, but you just, you need that. You need that reminder. And sometimes you got to, you know, let the other guy vent. And then after they're done venting, we're like, you know, but, you know, God, yeah, I know. And then we get back on track. And that's just the, 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 the reality of life. This is the first pump actually pouring slab. This is at like 6 in the morning, and that's the very first boom pouring slab. And there the slab starts to get poured over uh, the vast majority of the church. And then this happened. (laughs) We had to get the gravel in there. And in the middle of it all, you can't really tell there, but that tire broke on the telehandler. You can tell in this one. The rim broke, not the tire. You can see the bottom half of it broke because the entire tire is actually filled with rubber. It's a solid tire. And I remember we're sitting there going, what do we do? We need the telehandler so we can get all of the gravel into the building because the trucks are coming in two days. we got to move some more dirt around. Like, we had no time. So we called the company that drove out and literally had a crane on the back of their car that could pick up and install the entire tire directly on it. It was like $3,500 or something like that. It was, it was expensive, but we needed it done yesterday, but got took care of it. And we had the telehandler up and running in the same day. And here they are after they had finished pouring the top. You can see the extended handle uh, telescoping to the back half of it. There's the concrete finishers finishing it. There's another picture of it. There's Peter. He just spent hours cutting in all of the lines into the church floor, which should save us a tremendous amount of money when we epoxy it. And then there's the, this is at 4.30 in the morning. They're pouring the last bit of the, of the slab. Then came all of this. Um, this, I don't have a ton of photos from this, but this is all of the hydrant work. The ground was so hard that none of it would move. It's a trench that was four feet wide and four and a half deep and uh, 80-something feet long or something like that. It was longer than that, wasn't it? Oh, I think just the long stretch was 80, but then if you include the sides, it was well over like 125 feet, yeah. 
Yeah, and then we have to rent the second uh, uh, excavator. If you look on the hand of that excavator, that entire excavator's job was to jackhammer. That's a jackhammer on the end of it. And I would sit in one excavator and jackhammer, and Peter would sit in one excavator and pull the dirt out, and I would jackhammer, and he would pull the dirt out and um, move the plate over, and there's Mike and Attila. And then the steel came. I almost forgot about that. The steel came, and it was a long process of unloading nine trucks of steel from Utah. And, and it was a lot of guiding and finicking and, and, and kind of making it all lay down exactly right and correct. And we had steel all over the job site, if you remember. That's the trusses that got installed in the building. Uh, and then Gabe Aldia came down with, with a crew of people, plus Peter and a, a group of guys from here, and they started lifting up the entire building. And they lifted up the whole entire building. And there's Mike working on cleaning out all of the, all of the buck-out boxes, making sure that they're good and ready. There's Peter holding up the, the, the posts as they would get set in place. Those were the first, you know, what is that, six, yeah, the first six posts that were lifted up, which we were super excited about. All of the beams getting set in. There's a lot more posts there. And you can see as the beam gets set in over there on the right, Gabe and Peter would come together and they would spud wrench and tighten everything to torque specifications, which was something that was brand new to both of us. And then you can see the building lifted up. And then the building got covered, and here the, the American crew came back and finished pouring the second floor concrete. And then the studs came. It's wild to think about all of these. Oh, yeah, that happened too. And then all the studs came in, and they started to get set in. And brothers from Portland came down because they knew Peter, and Peter had called them. And they said, hey, we're going to come out and give you guys a hand. And they helped us start and, and go through that whole entire process. And then all of the studs got installed, and then the yellow board got installed. You can see it when it started with uh, the Russian brothers that came in and, and started putting all of that up for us. And then the whole building became yellowed out. That was this spring. Like in February, the whole building got finished in, in yellow board. And then after that, uh, we bought scaffolding. We bought $26,000 worth of scaffolding. Instead of paying $25,000 to rent it, we bought it for twenty six. And then we started lifting up scaffolding all over the entire building. Beba was with me almost every day. Peter Jr. was with me almost every day. And Almost all of that scaffolding that's up there, he would bring it, hand it to me through that window. Just thousands and thousands of pounds that we hand move from one place to another. And Johnny Stoika was there also a, a lot of days. And James and Sam Bilchug and a lot of other young men. And uh, the Mihulets boys, several of them came and gave us a hand. And, and we lifted up all of that scaffolding on that entire building. Five stories of scaffolding, five layers of, of scaffolding on, on the two tall sides. And then, you know, uh, Peter called me. He's like, hey, man, how do we do this cross? Because it wasn't in the blueprints. And we went back and forth a thousand times, called my dad. He had an idea, too, agreed on something. And then Peter fabricated the top part of the cross and welded it in place. And there it is. After that part of the cross had been installed and craned into place. And then you could see it there from, from a different angle. And then eventually it got covered in yellow board as well. Then we talked to Fratel Abbas Arab, and he came and he taped up all of the seams, and then they grayed out the building. And that's what we have outside right now. That's a journey we've been on. That's, I mean, that's, that's a journey. That's a process. Over three, No accidents. A lot of amateurs, including me, and no accidents. That's God's faithfulness over us. No death. That's God's faithfulness over us. I'm talking with another brother who, from a Romanian church who's building a Romanian church. They're at about 15 million in debt. You understand? We have no debt where we're at currently. That's amazing. When, when, when I went to the building department with Peter, we sat there and I wrote a check for 225000 And like we were so like, oh my God, we're writing $225,000 in, in a check. And uh, it, was, it was wild to us because it wasn't a loan for 225000 It was cash money that we had raised in benefit dinners out of a savings account, out of a checking account. 
cash money that we were writing $225,000 to the billing department to give them the money, and we had it there. From where? From the pockets of the people that are here and that are watching online. God has been so faithful with us through this entire project. I can give you numbers on top of numbers on top of numbers about the whole entire process that we had gone through. When we needed a, a, a construction project manager, God spoke to Peter and to his wife at the right time and in the right moment. You know, Friday at the board meeting, Peter had announced in January that, hey guys, this is where God is leading us into the next step of our life. And we were a little bit panicking because we were like, what are we going to do? God's faithful. Remember, God's faithful. Look backwards. Don't just look forward. But we were kind of panicking. I'm going to be honest with you. And the following Monday, Daniel Brazavan happened to be in town, and we met in an emergency board meeting, and we pitched to him the idea. And he said, I just got to go home and run it by, you know, the wife and everything else, but pretty much I'm in. God didn't even give us a long time for us to panic about it. If God was faithful with the finances, if God was faithful, that... That, that, um, we got bids for everything. The foundation should have cost us 300 grand. We did it for $89,500. We didn't even do it for 100 grand. The, the, the uh, uh, hydrant work should have cost us 300 grand. But the inspector liked Peter so much because God had given him so much favor that the inspector said, tell you what, if you'll do the work, I'll come and I'll tell you exactly everything to do. Of course it's going to pass inspection. He was the one who told Peter what to do. It was great. $95,000, not three hundred dollars That's all it cost us. God's favor has been over this project from the very get-go, and I just want us to take some time here now to just remember the fact that God has been faithful up until this point. So with corona and everything else that's happening in our lives, if God has been faithful in our project, if he has been faithful in your life, if he has been faithful with our church, then surely he'll be faithful in what is to come. Now here's what I want you to envision with me. If God's fingerprints are all over this building, and God's hand has been with us up until now, God's plan doesn't end at the completion of this building. He's building it not to complete it. He's building it for a purpose. And I am so excited that God has a plan. I am so excited that God has a plan whenever the building's built for whatever's next. Do I know what's going to happen with the old building? People ask me all the time. I have no idea, but I know God does. And I'm excited for whatever his plan is next. And so I'm committed to my relationship with Jesus. I'm committed to prayer. I'm committed to fasting. I'm committing to having faith in God. Why? Because I know that God has a plan, not just with the building, not just with our community, but also with us as individuals. And so as we make ourselves available as, as men and women who just say yes to the Lord and jump into the deep end, then what it is that God God has in store for us, he will fulfill and he will complete, and then his plan will come into fruition. I'm excited for you guys for what's to come. Really, I am. I'm in a season right now where I'm just, when you were saying, Domini, when you were saying, you know, you look at Peter and you're like, did God say anything to you? Did God say anything to you? I'm in a season like that with my wife all the time. Did God speak to you about anything? No, 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 nothing here. And we're just in this period of waiting, which you guys know very well about. And we're just waiting on the Lord, but it's so encouraging to me just to hear and to look at your testimony because it reminds me that there is a season of sowing and a season of reaping and that God is faithful and that what he has started, he will finish. And sometimes, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. In ministry, it gets really hard sometimes. But if you're faithful and you don't look at the wind and the wave and you keep your eyes firmly fixed on Christ, then he will give you the power to overcome and he will give you the power to succeed and he will give you the power to do and he will give you the power to be able to arrive where it is that he's ultimately designed for me and for you if we remain faithful as he has always remained and will always be faithful. God help us. Amen.
Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite everybody to stand, and I'd like to invite the Borosh family to the stage. Pete, Domni, Baba, Isaac. And um, if you guys just stand here, and what I'd like to do is um, I'd like to just have, have a moment where we pray for your guys' family. This is our, our last service really together as, as members and so on. And I, I just I wanna I wanna lift up a prayer before the Lord and, and, and as a community and as a church for what is to come and uh, to just commission you for what is next. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Father God, we come before you, O Lord, and we just lift up the Borosh family into your hands, God. God, we are so thankful, O Lord, that they are a family that says yes to your call, God. God, I pray, O Lord God, that wherever it is that you're taking them from here, God, that you would bless them mightily, God. God, I pray, O Lord God, that you would bless them with health. God, that you would bless them with wisdom. God, that you would open all of the doors, God. God, I know, O Lord God, that you have a plan and a purpose, God, for their life in Tennessee. I also know, O Lord, that the enemy has a plan, and I rebuke the enemy's plan over their life in the name of Jesus. And I proclaim, O Lord God, your victory over them, God. And I pray, O Lord God, for such a strong anointing over all four of them, God. God, I pray, O Lord God, for Peter, God, that you would bless his hands and bless his mind and bless his heart, God. And wherever he goes, God, that he would represent you, Lord, fervently, God. God, I pray, O oh Lord God, that you would open many more doors, God, wherever he goes, God. God, I pray, O oh Lord God, that where he goes, God, your presence would follow, God. God, I pray, O oh Lord God, for men and women of action, God, that you would bless Phil and Naomi, that you would bless that organization, and that you would bless them, O oh Lord God, with the Boroshes as well, God. And God, I also pray, O oh Lord, for Domni, God. I pray, God, that, that you would guide her and protect her, God. God, that you would give her wisdom, God, so much wisdom and direction, and, and, and to just help her, O oh Lord, to continue to speak so much life into everyone around her as she already does, God. And God, I just pray, God, that, that you would protect and, 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 and guide, oh Lord God, all the steps, God, that she has to take in life, God, and all the different, different directions, God, that she might be going in. And I just pray, God, that you would guide and protect, God, them, oh Lord. I know, oh Lord, that the enemy tries to strike at our children. And I just pray a hedge of protection around Peter and Isaac, God. God, I just pray, oh Lord God, for your divine guidance and your blessing over them, God. God, bless Peter and Isaac in school. Help them find the right community, the right friends, God. Help them, oh Lord God, to know, God, that your calling in their life is special and unique and that you have purpose for them, God. God, I pray, oh Lord God, that you would lead them, oh Lord God, to, to the call that you have over their lives. Lead them, oh Lord God, to find, to find the, 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 the right young lady, oh Lord, to one day marry, to make great families and to be pillars in their own churches, God. God, I just pray, oh Lord God, that you would guide them and bless them, God. I pray, oh Lord God, that your face would continually shine upon them, God. God, I'm so thankful, oh Lord, for the friendship that I have there, God. I'm so thankful, oh Lord, for the years that we've spent together here. And I'm so thankful, oh Lord God, that as you have shown your faithfulness, you will continue to be faithful in the many years to come, God. We entrust them into your hands, and we pray all of this in your mighty, mighty name, oh Lord. Amen. We also have... Um, a uh, small gesture just on behalf of the youth board and on behalf of the church. We just love you guys. And then uh, we have flowers for you guys as well because we love you guys. Moses wanted to say hello. You guys may be seated. Thank you. Um, it's been an, an exciting time. It's been an exciting four years. We look forward to um, whatever it is that the Lord has in store next. 
don't be strangers. I'm going to be in Tennessee like every three months anyways. I plan on staying at your house, so I'm just letting you know now. And, uh, <laughs> and um, anytime you guys are in Sacramento, I'm sure that everyone here is, is going to be looking forward to being together with you guys. Um, I'd just like to close service in a, in a closing prayer. And I apologize. I invite you to stand up one more time, and then I'm just going to close in prayer, and then we'll dismiss for the evening. Father God, thank you, O Lord, for tonight. Thank you, O God, for your faithfulness and your goodness. I just wanna be